So this morning, like a week ago, I, I had this whole sermon sketched out about my sabbatical. I was going to offer you a bunch of stuff that I had learned or encountered or discovered, whatever you want to put it, um, about rest and the kind of things that I wanted to offer back to you. But about halfway through it, it just all fell apart and was not clearly ready yet. And then I had this like super rad Jesus story to tell you about when Jesus goes across the sea to uh, the Gerasenes and what happens there, and he comes back. You'll get it one day, but you won't get that one today either. Because uh, on Tuesday night, uh, life for Don and I kind of took a sideways turn, and we lost our dog, Leroy. He wasn't feeling well after work. Uh, Mark the first photo That guy. He wasn't feeling well after work on Tuesday. Not after himself. Wouldn't go for a walk. Just clearly something was wrong. And we thought he ate a sock or something. Because he does that. <laughs> anything. Anything to eat, he'll eat it. And so we thought, oh, let's go get him. The worst you have a surgery or move a sock. At best, they'll make a puke and they'll be fine. Uh, but we discovered that he's got a form of undetectable cancer on his spleen and his liver and was bleeding internally. And he had maybe a few more hours. And so we had to make that impossible decision to say goodbye. It was a huge shock for us. Uh, never. Never in our wildest dreams did we think that we would not go home with them that night. But as I rumbled with the grief and we spent the last few days just looking at photos and talking about all our memories about him, there were a few things that kind of rose up for me. Dave, can you turn me down, please? No, Mark. Uh, these bits of wisdom that I discovered that Leroy taught me. These places where I can see God at work. Uh, these things that remind me that everything is spiritual. That if we look closely enough, if we look hard enough, we can see that everything and everyone can teach us about God and what it means to be human and alive in this world. Uh, so I want to offer you that this morning, if that's okay. Uh, a lot of it is stuff that I haven't really fully grasped yet, so this is incoherent. My apologies. Uh, I'm still in the middle of it, but this is where I'm at. And if this is going to be a place where we can just come as we are and share what we're bringing with us, this is what I have to offer you this morning. And I hope there's something in it that we can each hold on to and each take away. Uh, so, because I need it more than you probably need it, uh, can we start with a prayer? And let's bow our heads. God, here we are, and we just turn this time over to you. May this be a time of listening, of rumbling, and holding on to you. So God, take these words, make them your own, and we ask that you do your thing. Amen. So a bit about that night. As you can probably imagine, especially for those of you who have been there before, the whole night was just a blur. 
Uh, but when we, we finally did get home from the hospital around lunch, I don't know. Uh, the house was quiet. There's no dog there to greet us. It's so surreal. And Don goes up to lay down in bed, and I'm downstairs. And as the reality of it all begins to settle on me, I find myself in a lot of this. And I realize I was biting my tongue. Because all I want to do, all I want to do is tell that off. I want to tell that off for Leroy, for loss, for cancer, for what this is doing to Don, for having to experience this, for a world where this kind of stuff happens. But I was biting my tongue. Something inside of me was like, you can't say that to God. So I kept it all inside, pushed it all down. And I figured, well, I'll just give God the silent treatment instead of telling God how I really feel. Then I went to bed and I woke up. And in one of those divine ironies or moves that God does, I saw this poem. And it's a riff off of a song. And it's God speaking. And it says, bring me your pain, your broken heart shattered and rattled. Lay bare your trauma and writhe in your misery. I promise to never cringe or avert my eyes. I won't dismiss your damage or your loss. I refuse to downplay your suffering. I will meet you here, and I will stay with you in your affliction. I will love you here in the dark. One of the things our tradition teaches, one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful, one of the most liberating truths that we can ever proclaim, is that God loves us in the dark. God's love is big enough to not only go with us into the dark, but it's big enough to hear everything that's going on with us. All our pain, all our agony, all our rage, all our sorrow, everything that we need to throw at it, God's love is big enough to take. It was in the midst of the grief that we are rumbling with that I forgot about the biggest part of the gift that God's love. That it provides us a space to be real, to be raw, to be open and honest. The space that God allows us to be exactly how we are. I think the thing that we often forget is our prayers don't need to be very pretty. We don't have to be polite with God. We can tell God exactly how we feel. Sometimes fuck can be the best prayer we can offer. Because we can trust that God's love is big enough for us to spell with formalities and politeness and simply be how we need to be. So if you're here this morning, and I know some of you are, and you're in the thick of grief, don't bite your tongue. Don't push down. Don't pretend. That just leads to death. Know that God is big enough to take it all. Even if it's not God's fault, God's big enough to take it because God's love is that big.
I think this is my favorite photo of Leroy. Um, I forgot about this day until we found this photo. We spent a week in the mountains, and we stopped here. Anyone know where it is? Spray Lakes. Yeah, it's outside of Canada. We played fetch for a few hours with the stick. You can see him chowing down up there. And I remember it was getting late. And I knew traffic was going to be nuts. And we're like, dude, let's go. But he would not come back to the car. He refused. He didn't even pay attention to us. He was all like, I'm not done with this stick. And so we waited, because what do you do? And eventually, after he chewed the thing to death, he dropped it, walked past us, all the way to the car, and sat down by the car door. He was like, all right, I'm ready to go. And here's the thing that Leroy taught me. Sometimes joy is the stick. So I don't know why this is exactly. Maybe because the way that we talk about joy in church kind of puts it on this pedestal and makes it this this huge, robust, magical kind of thing. Because when I speak to people about joy, and I ask them, what's your joy? Inevitably, they'll always say, oh, my kids, my family, or they'll share some gigantic thing that happened to them that's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. To say, that's my joy. Anyone ever think about joy, Father? Yeah, I do too sometimes. But the thing is, the thing our tradition would offer is that joy, if it's anything, it's less an emotion, it's less something that we feel, and it's more something that we experience. It's that gift of feeling truly and fully alive. It's that spontaneous surge of delight that we need. Some even describe it as joy is the very essence of life itself. Joy is what we get when God moves. And if that's true, if joy is life itself, joy is the essence of God, and God's baked into everything and everyone, then there's joy everywhere. It's not just the huge, extraordinary moments that we can find but it's even in the ordinary, everyday stuff. It's even in the smallest things that we can experience the joy of life as it was meant to be. And I don't know about you, but I needed to be reminded of that. I needed to be reminded that joy can be a stick. That joy can be a cup of coffee with a friend. Joy can be sunlight kind of coming in through that sliver in your window blinds and hit you right in the face when you wake up in the morning. No, and it's a nice day. That was soft. Joy could be a breeze. I needed to remind it of that. Because something I do, and I know a lot of people do this when they experience joy, is they start to rob themselves of it. I'll start to wonder when the other shoe will fall. I can't really enjoy this because, oh, the sun's going to go away and it's going to rain inside, so... I can't really enjoy it. I can't really enjoy spending time with my dog. You gotta spend time meet the traffic man. Let's go, come on, let's get in the car. Or so good to have coffee with you, but you know, I gotta go back to work and say, please. Do any of you rob yourselves of joy? 
Yeah, we all do. And I think the thing that Leroy reminded me about joy is that when we see it, when we feel it, when we experience it, the only thing we have to do is stop, slow down, embrace it. Don't worry if the other shoe will fall. But take it all in, chew on that stick until it's done. And then go back to life. Having just milk the heck out of that stick and having that joy go with you. So if you're here this morning and you need some joy and you're looking more to find it, I encourage you to go find the ordinary things. Go find that person you're sitting beside, that person you came with. Just feel their presence next to you and find joy in that. It's a beautiful day outside. Find joy there. Wherever you find it, grab it, hold on to it, and let it make you feel life as it was meant to be. Next photo. You remember this one. For those of you who are, are new, uh, this, is, this is how we ride together. In the car. I sit in the back. And part of this is because Leroy freaks out if he sits anywhere else but the front, and I just can't deal with it. But the other part of it, the deeper truth of this, is that I was the one who arrived late to the park. Don came with Leroy. It was a package kind of deal. And you can see this in how we travel together. That's just that's my spot. And it, it took me it took me a few years to, to embrace that and come to terms with it, but he was there first, and what I can't argue with that. Uh, the point of all that um, is that I had to get used to Leroy. See, I was not a dog person growing up. I was not a pet person growing up. If you had asked me seven Seven years ago, like, hey, do you think you'd ever get a dog? I would have laughed in your face. Because no. And to give you a sense of it, of how much, like, spite I carry around, uh, when my younger brother, Elliot, was in grade 12, a week after he got accepted to Carleton University in Ottawa, we lived in Brenton. Distance here is important. Elliot decided to go get a dog. I don't know why my parents agreed, because he was moving away. But he got a dog, and then he moved the dog grew up. He moved away, um, and he was somehow surprised to find that dogs aren't allowed in dorm rooms. <laughs> and so, so a year ago, his dog stayed at home with me. And that also happened to be the year that my brother, my mom, and my dad all were like away for. So it's just me and the dog in the house. And I resented that so much. And I knew I couldn't ignore the dog, but I was like, how do I get back to my family? Indigo dog shit. So my little act of revenge was whenever I would sleep in the house, I would pile all the dog hair in my brother's room. <laughs> so there were four or five months of dog hair Because I was like, this is not my dog. I'm not a dog person. I am not cleaning up after this dog. You have to do. 
And then again, in one of those divine ironies, or maybe got a sense of humor, Donna comes along, fall in love, and she's like, oh yeah, I've got it. And he comes with me. Never, ever did I think that would happen. That's the last thing I thought would happen. I never would have seen myself as someone who loves dogs. But sure enough, over time, as Leroy and I hung out and got to know each other, I became a dog person. I came to love dogs. I found myself booling at puppies whenever we would drive by. They go, oh my God, <laughs> I found myself following dog accounts on Instagram. Like, what the hell happens to that guy that swept all the hair into the room? Like, I, I came to love dogs by being with a dog. Which I know isn't the most revolutionary, extraordinary realization in the world, but I think there's something there for us. And as I sat with this, I kept, I kept thinking about this story in the Bible where Jesus is asked the most important, what's the most important commandment, Jesus is asked. Uh, and Jesus said what? What did he say? Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. That's what all boils down to, Jesus. If you want to follow God, if you want to be connected to the great pattern, rhythm, and energy of the universe, the way to do it is loving God and loving your name. Which again is the most revolutionary thing. Uh, but I think it's actually way more radical than we often think. Because when we Jesus, when Jesus talks about neighbor, who is he talking about? Because he's not talking about the person across the street who looks like you, thinks like you, and acts like when Jesus talks about neighbor, he's talking about the other. He's talking about the stranger. He's talking about the them of us versus them. He's talking about those who don't act like us, look like us, and think like us. When it comes to connecting to the very patterns and rhythms in the universe, that's who God calls us to love. And here's the thing, Leroy talked about that. We can't love our neighbor if we're not with our neighbor. We can't love the other if we don't know them. We can't ever create a world that's full of unity and justice if we don't know the pain and stories of others. We can't love the way Jesus calls us to love if we don't ever meet those we live around. We don't ever meet the them of us versus them. And I think that's why Jesus was always gathering people together, pulling in people from the margins to the center, sending people from the center to the margins, bringing all kinds of people together who would never, ever get together. Bringing together people who hate dogs with dogs. Because he knew something. And this is where Leroy pulled a pretty Jesus he moved on. Jesus knew that by hanging out with others, by those who aren't your people, it's only there that we can fall in love with them. It's only there that we can have bonds and bridges built. It's only there that we can create the kind of world that God wants us to have. 
I never thought I would be a dog lover. But Leroy proved me wrong. He wore me out. And now I can't describe how much he's missed. But because of his presence in my life, I've learned to expand the circles of my life. I've learned to love things that I never thought I could. And so for those of you who are here this morning, and you hear Jesus asking you to go out and love God and love me, the question for us is, who's our name? Who aren't your people? Who doesn't look like you, think like you, or act like you? Who are those people that you need to do that terribly difficult work with of inserting yourselves into their lives and inviting them into yours so that that love can actually happen? Who do you need to go from here today and spend some time with? Part of my job, uh, it's my favorite part, and I find the most difficult part, uh, part of my job is to give shape and language and form to things that we experience and believe as humans. It's my job to talk about the ineffable and indescribable, the things that only images and metaphors can really speak. It's my job to put into words what we talk about when we talk about love and grace, forgiveness and God. And one of the biggest questions I ever get, it's always from kids, because we all know that kids ask the best questions. They always ask, what's God's love like? And I always just kind of, I don't know. They want to know what makes God's love different from anything else. They want to know why do we root ourselves in this kind of why do we let this love color in everything about us? What's special about it? How do I feel that love? And I always give that uh, shruggy kind of answer because how do you describe unconditional love? How do you put into words that extravagant, indiscriminate, affirming love of God? How do we actually talk about a love that renews and restores and reconciles without restoring the platitudes. I think after six years of trying, you just can't. You can't speak to it, but you certainly can point to it. This is what Leroy does when Don leaves the house. Even for five minutes, this is what he does. He sits by the door, and he waits. For hours, he waits. He waits and watches for her to come home. And you can kind of see he doesn't have very much of a window to look at. He's actually my cue that Don's on her way home because he can hear her car coming down the street. And when he knows she's home, holy smokes, the house shakes. Because he's going up the stairs, down the stairs, up the stairs, down the stairs. And I know, okay, Don is home. This Leroy is going nuts. He's so excited that she is home. 
What does God's love look like? It looks like that. It's a love that's patient. It's a love that's kind, gracious, and generous. It's love that cannot be contained, that explodes whenever you show up. It's a love that shakes houses. If you're here this morning and you're wondering what God's love does, if you're wondering what it feels like, if it's a bit too indescribable to really hold on to, this is the kind of love that we're talking about when we talk about God. It's a love that roots us like a dog when their owner comes home. And if that doesn't fill you up with joy, I don't know what will. That's what Martin. So I don't know how to end this because I don't really know what to do with it. Last week we had a story about Jesus appearing on the beach after the resurrection. Um, and he's making breakfast for the disciples. And then Jesus and Peter, one of the disciples, had this whole little conversation happening about uh, Jesus asking him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, Yes, 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 I do. And there's all kinds of places you can go. Uh, but one of the cool things about it that doesn't get talked about enough is if you translate the Aramaic of the passage, Jesus isn't asking you to love me. He's asking you to cherish me. You cherish me. You cherish me. You cherish me. And that has a completely different vibe to the story, doesn't it? And I think it provides the answer to what we do with unconditional love. That's the love I got from this guy. And the question is, what do I think of it? And if Jesus is all about showing us what unconditional love looks like, if he's all about introducing us to that, connecting us to that, then I think we find the answer in that story about Peter about what we do with it. We cherish it. What do you do with things that you cherish? What does church mean? 
used to work at the Tower of Time and working in Hope and in downtown. It was always a race to see who would get to the door first or go under our exam. So 